we're just going to continue condemning my GMing style. I think that seems very on the nose for us. If you want to be disappointed with your GM, let them follow my guy. Be the GM. That's, that's the best way to be disappointed yeah. in the GM. Live for the Mundangerous Drawing Board in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host, Yishin. And welcome to episode 314 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about low prep GMing. But first, the party has flashbacks in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Doomsday Prepper has something for that in the Character Creation Forge. So did you notice that uh, we missed a week? Because we eventually noticed because we had a little bit of a sick week this might have this was this the first time we had a, we've ever had a sick week i don't know i think i think so i mean obviously we had baby weeks but uh yes. this was the first i think unplanned miss yeah. uh <laughs> but you know rumors of our demise were greatly exaggerated we we're okay mm-hmm. i mean i guess once every seven years is fine we are we are the lou gehrig the cal ripkin the cal ripkin if you yeah. will <laughs> of of podcasts at this that's point a, okay that's a really good pull for you ishan thank you thank you, you um, not only lou gehrig but i mean lou gehrig fine but pulling the current lou gehrig everyone pulling knows. the current holder of the uh of consecutive games i mean that's it's you because know. i grew up in dc before they had a well after they had a baseball team and before they had a baseball team so it was always ah, the orioles right got it mm-hmm. which Makes i didn't sense. care for but i learned via osmosis right okay yeah, don't worry, don't worry, fans. I don't know anything about sports balls. Yeah, don't worry. Lots of people don't care for the Orioles. <laughs> All right, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition DD game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Fairhaven, the peaceful capital of Ondare, the party is hunting down Cory Mindseeds. Below the abandoned temple, they have used the Reagent passphrase to gain access to a secret chamber, but not without enduring a shower of poisoned blood much like their own. Switch pulls a bar of soap from her pack, and they all scrub off what blood they can, although it's harder to clean off than they expect. She also triangulates the presence of two undead ahead and between the doors leading out of the room. They decide to open the door to the left, which leads down a long corridor that curves gently to the right. At the end, in another circular room, a basin filled with changing, swirling colors emits the sound of rushing air. Again, Warden, in air elemental form, dives in. And all of his senses are bombarded with memories, split-second remembrances of sights and smells and touches from his past, flying by like an out-of-control carousel. It's hard to collect his own real thoughts, but he does finally manage to do so and is able to fly out of the basin in retreat. The party puts their heads together and speculates that this might be a portal to Dalcor, the plane of dreams. Vesicod can feel the ambivalence of his quarry spirit, Cod. He is both homesick and afraid. So the paladin switch ties a rope to anchor herself and approaches the basin to collect a sample. Near it, She is hit with the same kinds of sensations and memories, though only sights, sounds, and smells at this range. She tries to bottle the dream stuff, but the vial comes away empty, and the party yanks her away from the basin before she gets pulled in. They decide to double back to the other door, 
and they find a similar passage that curves to the left, where they find yet another basin. This time it's full of swirling, screaming chaos. Orden approaches again, and an eyeball-covered tentacle tries to grab him, but it can't find purchase on his wind form. Again, the party speculates. It looks less like the basins are portals than receptacles, filled with the protean material of Zoriat and the dream stuff that makes up Dalcor. Beyond the basins, the two curving corridors meet at a single locked door, but the hallway turns back on itself. The walls here are smeared with fresh blood, and the party is greeted by the low moan of two halfling-sized undead creatures that begin shambling towards them. Orden pounces as a whirlwind and throws one against the wall, and Bramble fries their undead brains with psychic static. From a side room, another aberration bursts through the door, howls and lunges at the party. Bazan's glaive slams it to the floor as it approaches. It takes a wild swing with a tentacled fist and misses. Switch pins it to the ground, and Zan cuts it in two. Bramble explodes the head of the last undead creature. Party's getting a little more competent, at least. That's something. In side rooms, they find medical stations and gurneys with broken restraints. Dead halfling corpses are strewn about, and the walls are covered in their gore. With a quick examination, they note that all of the bodies bear House Jurasco Dragon Mark. A key charm on one of the corpses unlocks the door at the end of the hall. It opens into a sunlit clearing, with the sky overhead and trees in the distance. Nearby, two elves sit peacefully on rocky outcrops. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week we are talking about low prep GMing. Shane, was this a low prep episode? Uh, well, it was a character creation forge episode, so mm. no. <laughs> there are some <laughs> things you just can't avoid the mechanics of. Yeah, we, we, we don't. We can't just wing those anymore. We've been doing this for so long. Right. <laughs> uh, take I don't know, seventeen levels of wizard, and then wish, <laughs> and then three levels of eh. Pick your poison. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so this is, uh, my take on low prep GMing because I think of the two of us, I am probably the, uh, the stronger adherent to doing less work. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lower prepper, I, you know what? You got me. You're right. It's true. It shows. I, 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 <laughs> I will set out to do less prep and then think, uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, when you want to make just, you want to make like a simple three ingredient stew and then, you know. 11 ingredients later you're like i'm i'm gonna go all out why not uh-huh yeah so i don't have that problem because i never had enough time so <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah water so salt this is pepper sort of... good exactly <laughs> wait no there's a fourth flavor i need some umami <laughs> but yeah so this is this is sort of my approach to low prep it's not the only approach but it's the one that i've used and that that has worked for me um and i think part of it is because of techniques in the prep itself and part of it is techniques and uh almost like philosophy of running a game right in in that like i will cut corners uh in places that other people might not and so i kind of wanted to talk through sort of how my low prep techniques work um and i think we're probably talking more about like traditional 
games, like more of like the Dungeons and Dragons kind, rather than, you know, like uh, an inherently low prep game, like a, a Blades in the Dark or, uh, I mean, you know, Band of Blades or something like that. Right, that are supposed to be designed around that concept anyway. Right. So we're looking for like more of a full freight trad RPG uh, kind of low prep technique. That normally insists that you do a bunch of prep. Exactly. Sometimes assumes it very rudely that I'm going to do a bunch of prep. <laughs> <laughs> it assumes that I read this book. Exactly. <laughs> How dare you? Assumes I did not buy it at the con I'm at and tried to run it an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me start with just sort of the three like guiding principles that I use. And if these don't work for you, um, I'll be honest with you. This technique is probably going to be challenging. Um, but let me let me start kind of walking through my sort of three principles of staying low prep. The first is you're not a simulation. So like and ironically, uh, I as we reviewed the one ring, I pointed out that when their their little section of like what is an RPG, um, they mentioned computer RPGs as like the touch point, right? And saying like, you know, you're used to playing video game RPGs. Uh, you are the computer. The the GM is the computer. That's how this works. Um, but the reality of that, right, is that we're not actually computers. Like, we aren't bound by programming. We don't need to have every contingency in our if-then statements. Like, we have emotional intelligence and creativity and spontaneity and can solve problems on the fly that we weren't prepared for going in. So... I reject the idea that we need to simulate anything. Um, and I, I prefer to focus on like, what is the best way to get the end result we're looking for? Oh, emotional intelligence. Who's assuming things now? Okay. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, some people have emotional intelligence. <laughs> I just have the wherewithal to withstand your scorn. <laughs> I mean, doing those calculations quickly and not caring about you as a person make me a better GM. Obviously, I can simulate <laughs> I can simulate the entire world much better. But like that th that's that's the point, right? Like the the benefit of a computer RPG is that it can make all the calculations on the fly. You cannot do that. And the kind of game that you should be running as a human who is running a game are not the kind of games that lend themselves to doing literally 1,000 calculations for, you know, small armies fighting each other on a screen all at the same time. Exactly. exactly. And, and also the thing is, like, whatever game I'm running, whatever group I'm running for, like, I feel like my job as the GM is to ensure the players are having the experience that they wanted, right? So, you know, crunchy or rules light, you know, story-driven or kind of random, you know, improvised or, like heavily sort of um like combat oriented right like whatever kind of game you're looking for like the job of the gm is to facilitate that right and like create that fun environment that the players are looking for like i don't just need to execute those if then statements in the correct order and the correct calculation in order to assume i will provide the fun i can actually read and react in real time Right. If that was the main purpose of a GM, then you actually wouldn't need a GM because all the players at the table could just do the math themselves. Right. You know, what, yes. what you, you, you need a deck of cards. <laughs> right. Like what you need is a person who adjudicates the edge cases where the rules say, hey, this is open to interpretation. And that's where the person comes in. 
and the person who who keeps the story moving right who has the like big picture in mind uh and and direction for what's going on and and an eye towards tying and making a narrative out of all the individual actions that occur all this is to say uh we just removed a whole bunch of the traditional baggage that uh, is expected of a gm so like you know don't worry about it yeah (laughs) hey the math didn't add up yeah i know i'm a person I don't do math. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that the math doesn't have to add up. I'm saying that, like, you don't have to meticulously plan every city block, right? And know what happens if they go wherever, like, you know, if they go to the East District or they go North or they go West. Doesn't matter, right? Like, you can just have a city that has interesting stuff in it and they bumble into it as they need to right like you don't need to know what sits where because you're not a computer bound by the logic that a distant programmer put in you you are a person who can just make it up right verisimilitude can definitely be the enemy of low a low low prep style right if you if you're so focused on making sure that the world is quote-unquote realistic um then you're not focusing on the story beats and the experience of the microcosm of the experience of the players, which is right. a much uh, smaller task to emulate. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> well, we can talk about this a little bit later, but like, you know, RPGs are the stuff of fridge logic, right? Like, you, you know, fridge logic is like the idea that like you're watching a movie and like, oh yeah, it all makes sense. It's really entertaining. And then when it's done and you go to the fridge and like, you know, grab a beer, you realize... Oh, wait, that didn't make any sense. But whatever, I enjoyed it in the moment, <laughs> right? Like, wait, there's this plot hole that was just gaping there the whole time. I, I totally missed it in the moment, but like, it doesn't undermine my experience of the film. I still enjoyed the time I spent doing it, right? And like, that is the core RPG experience. If it's like, well, why didn't you just, you know, take the giant eagles? <laughs> why didn't you just shoot the guy with two scimitars? Right. Didn't you have Why a gun? would you not just cash wish, cast wish, you know? Uh, well, that's what sequels are for, to plug those plot holes. <laughs> right. Um, okay, back to principles, though. Uh, the next one, and and this is uh, another one that I know will make some people uncomfortable, is your your goal going into a session, right, as the GM, for me, is survive the session and then figure it all out later, <laughs> right? My My reasoning is that in the four hours that we have allotted to time, I want to play, and then I will figure out how it all fits together on the back end, right? As long as I make good and interesting choices and enable the players to make good and interesting choices, then we'll get it sorted out later. Yeah, this is a function of the way that most of us play tabletop RPGs. It's sort of this staccato uh, cadence where like we show up, we play, and then we disband. And like I guess we'll find out when we play again. If we're lucky, it's in another week, right? But there are these like intense moments and and then comes real life so just focus on making that intense moments moment good in the moment and even if you like don't necessarily agree with this principle you are doing it because if you have gm'd for any length of time you've been in a situation where you're like i just got to get through this session it's just got to make sense at the moment while they're here at this table and then i will figure out why any of this happened later Right. And that's that's the thing, right, is like no matter how much you prep, the players always zag on you, right? Like they always go left when you were 100 percent sure they were going right. They always go up when you thought the only way they could go is down. 
right? And so then you end up in the same spot anyway. So my my principle is just like, if I'm going to end up there anyway, why don't I just plan on enabling myself to deal with those situations better and like stop trying to fit them into my rubric, right? And so in the moment, that means I want to keep the session moving forward. I want to keep it active. I want to keep players engaged. But then I want to take whatever I've prepped and repurpose it to get the most use out of it possible, right? Um, sometimes it goes out the window. Sometimes like I'm slogging through it or trying to stretch out one encounter or I'm, you know, I'm vamping for time and I'm like, hey, you guys are having an interesting like in-person conversation. Like, let's keep that going with an NPC, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, because it's just whatever I need to do, like to get to the end point. Right. Um, so that I get a chance to go back and recollect everything and make some sense of the situation. Yeah, if you know you're if you know you're gonna end up in that situation anyway, I mean, lean into it. That's what I eventually got to. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> for for the the one like maybe quarter or fifth of the sessions that actually went to plan, like I did a lot of wasted prep on the other four, you know? <laughs> and then the last principle is to prep exactly what you need. And the goal is to prep nothing more than you need and nothing less than you need. Right. So the goal is to get to exactly what's necessary to like enable the first two principles. Right. So it's sort of like instead of prepping um, facts, right, you instead prep the tools and the techniques you need to fudge things. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and then once you get those figured out in whatever system you're in, right, then you don't need any prep at all. Because all you really need is your is your creativity. And like, you know, that's a process that could be jotting some notes or that could just be stuff you make up on the fly. Like a lot of the times for me, it's just shower thoughts anyway. I'm not doing anything useful in there anyway. So I might as well think about my stupid game. Um, and so like, that's all it comes down to for me. But th that's the goal, right? Is like, figure out what it is that enables you to run your session this way and then only prepare those things. Yeah, if you're always angry, you don't got to get angry. If you're always ready, you don't get... If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready, Ishan. <laughs> this is where I live. Um, we've we've talked a little bit about this this before in that the way... One way to get to a place where you can get away with not prepping much is having done a bunch of prep previously, like in previous years or whatever, right? Like... It is obviously much easier to get away with not prepping if you are, for example, running a system that you know, like the back of your hand, because you've done it so much and you don't need to look up rules and you don't need to worry about like interactions or, or whatever. And, you know, you don't need to reference a, a monster manual because you have you already have stat blocks in your head, right? Yep. That in the moment that's low or even no prep, but, you know, over the history of your gaming career you've like put in the time to get to that place. Right. Um, another way this might happen is if you're just running a setting that you know very, very well, and it doesn't really matter what system you're doing it in because you're basically just sort of storytelling in a place that you're very comfortable with. Um, I've referred this, to this before. It's, it's um, in Taoist philosophy. It's called Wu Wei, a work without work, action without action. Um, you've done something so much and so often and you're so practiced at it that it doesn't feel like effort anymore. Um, and I feel like it, that's that's sort of an an oblique 
way to get to to no prep, but in the moment it feels that way. Uh, and I think that can be just as good. Man, I did not expect that my low prep style was actually Taoist. But here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Look at that. Um, okay. So we talked about, you know, kind of focusing on trad RPGs. Um, you know, generally you're gonna have something that has those kind of three core pillars, right? Social exploration and combat. Um whichever game you're using, you know, typically one of those pillars is gonna be kind of the primary. Um, that's probably where the majority of the mechanics are, and that's probably where you need to spend a little time focusing. Um at least early on when you get comfortable with that, right? Then it's about shoring up your weaknesses in the other, in the other two pillars, right? Or creating sessions that are focused on social encounters or creating exploration sessions, right? You might want to prep more than you would normally for that pillar because like, I don't know, how often do I really think about encounters that go on when you're traipsing through the, uh, through the Feywild, <laughs> you know, like I don't have a lot of that stuff just sitting in my back pocket. I might want to jot down some notes. I mean, okay, you, you got there because I was about to say like, uh, ninety percent of the time, the pillar you need to focus on is combat, right? Like, uh, yes, it yeah. is. But uh, and then like, but that's it's wherever the mechanics lie, right? Um, no, no, no that's prepping... what I'm, that's what I'm saying. For like these chat yeah. games, ninety percent of the right. time, the mechanics are in combat. Yes, and, like, very if much you have so. to prep something, it's the fighting. Right. I, I, but if you look at a game that's more investigation oriented, right? Like a Knights Black Agents, which I would argue is also sort of following a trad model. Like or the combat yeah. is is probably not what you need to prep because enemies are very simple, right? What you do need to prep a little bit is like kind of more of the conspiracy that's going on around and what's interesting to investigate, right? What's the what's the hidden truth that's there to be discovered? That's what you need to prep so that you can bring it forth with NPCs and and you know potential combat. Okay, so this is one of those like silly uh, like axiomatic comments, but ensure your prep is valuable right like that, that's the number one technique is prep the things that are valuable to you um so i don't need to go pull a bunch of stat blocks for monsters like all i need usually is like you know to pull up their page in D D beyond and then i can skim them and remember what i'm looking for so i don't really need to worry about that if you don't know monsters very well then that's probably where you should spend your time prepping right um you know but the idea here is like, however much time you're going to spend prepping for a session, time box it, and then think to yourself, if I have, you know, whatever, 60 minutes to prep, like, what do I absolutely have to have in hand in order to make this session work? Cool. I'm going to start there, right? If I only have 30 minutes left when I'm done with those, like, okay, what's the next best thing that I can prep? Like, what is the next most likely thing to be handy to me? Right? What, what am I envisioning I'm going to need? Knowing that I can only prep for 30 more minutes, right? Um, that will cut down a lot of the nonsense that will cut down a lot of like the encyclopedic prep work that people do to always have an answer referenceable, right? The goal is not to have referenceable answers. The, the goal is to have thought through what you might have to, what you might have to make up on the fly. I feel like you're just talking about the character creation forge. You just like, <laughs> look, what you need to do is like, tell yourself you're not going to spend more than two hours on it. And like, after two hours, you're done with it. Leave. <laughs> yeah. But it took me two hours to, to, to find the levels. And now I have to document <laughs> them. I mean, I think this is, this is a good technique because I think a lot of the times when we are trying to like get away with as little prep as possible, 
we think, all right, how much can I shrink the normal prep that I do into like the most minuscule chunks of time? And then when I add that all up, like hopefully I got away with like not having to do a bunch of prep. But if you just pick an amount of time that you're going to spend prepping, right? right. And pick a reasonable amount of time, whether that's 20 minutes or two hours or whatever, depending on what counts as low prep to you, and then triage from there. What do you need to do? Like you said, if you need to focus on the monsters and you focus on the monsters and not storytelling because you can wing that or whatever, maybe it's reversed. Um, and then when you're out of time, you're out of time, you're done. This works well, I think, like, like you said, sometimes it's shower thoughts. A thing that I used to do is uh, sometimes I would prep on the subway on the way to the session. And mm -hmm. like, you know, how do I know when I'm out of time? When I get to the session. When I get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've done I've done a fair amount of that too. Like just just making notes in a Google Doc on my phone on the train. Yeah, totally. Know? And it's just like, well, I'm I'm here. I've got, you know, 25 minutes for this ride. Like I'll spend it just getting ready for this session that's in two days, you know. Um, but yeah, the I, I think then to like put some frame around like what you're time boxing right i would say that you want to start with having an idea for the direction of the session like what is the purpose of the session right is this uh the party venturing into the lost minds of fandelver right is this the party investigating the uh conspiracy that surrounds the murder of you know this mi6 agent right is this the party meeting their benefactor uh, for the first time, right? Whatever it is, like have an idea of what the purpose of this is. And then like one, start the session by narrating them in that direction, right? You walk into the lost minds of Fandelfer, right? You, uh, you stumble upon the corpse, right? You, uh, you sit down for tea and a strange person appears in front of you, right? Like, Go ahead and get them there so that you don't have to worry about them zagging on you before you even get to the thing you want to do. And then in order to enable that, right, prep the stuff that fits that goal, right? Like everything that you need is like to prep is in service of whatever the direction that you're expecting the, the session to go, prep in that direction. So what do you need to know about the benefactor? What do you need to know about the fights that are coming in the Lost Mine of Fandelver, right? That's what you want to think about. That'll help you like crystallize what it is you need to spend your time on. Yeah, we talk a lot about jumping ahead to the action. Just jump ahead to like the beginning of the railroad tracks. Exactly. You know, and I, ideally, you end the previous session agreeing to get on the yes. tracks, and then you start the current section with "Remember, you got on these tracks. Well, here's where they took you." Exactly. You get. You don't even need buy-in at the end. You say, "Great, what do you want to do?" And then you begin them there so that they can't change their minds. Exactly. Exactly. So at least you've got value out of your opening scene, right? So there's one piece of prep, guaranteed useful, the first scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for me, I always focus on the required crunch because I do think like the crunch is important. Uh, for our group especially, right? Like the crunch is part of the appeal. And so if I'm running a crunchy game, like when I was running Dark Heresy, right? For for the Rogue Trader game, like, I mean, the combat has to be 40K combat, right? Like if it isn't deadly and it isn't dangerous and it isn't tactical, like it just doesn't feel rewarding. So like I had to make sure that I like went through pulled stat blocks, 
um, had them all organized in a way that like was useful if I had to make stat blocks or I had to modify them, right? Like I was ready to do that. And that's where I spent probably the bulk of my time was just prepping, you know, two fights mm. per session um, so that it was it, it was ready to go in case I needed to fight you. <laughs> right, because you know. in, in those instances, like, does the blood letter have 26 or 27 wounds? That matters, right? It, like, it that's does. Small, that's a small difference. <laughs> it does. Uh, and also, like, those stat blocks are goofy in that they have a lot of keywords. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, they have keyworded abilities and things like that. And because I was using, like, the entire line of Dark Heresy and Rogue Trader and Dark Heresy First Edition and death watch <laughs> like you know like i had to go through and make sure that i was pulling the right abilities and stuff and so i had to like reprint the stat blocks in my notes so that i could cut all the chaff because i don't care about skills like skills are stupid you're here to kill them right but i do care about your combat stats and their abilities and like you know i don't care if like you have a five tough or you know a 55 toughness because you have plus 20 from this ability what i care about is what's the number and then i cut the ability because you know, and so like I just had a very simplified stat block for every monster in every fight. Um, and then I usually try to spend some time picking some miniatures as well. So I had an idea of what the miniatures were going to look like when you fought them, even though they were usually just different colored space marines. <laughs> but like you triaged the experience or the parts of the experience that were important both to you and to people at the table, right? Like we liked seeing the minis and also part of the metagame for us was like, oh, like we know what this particular mini represents because we, we've faced it before, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Or, or like at the beginning of the combat, there's an, there's an explanation about like this mini means this and this mini means this. And like we can extrapolate things both from like in-game resources and above the table knowledge. Right. Uh, this happened a lot in like other systems run into this problem. 3.5 D&D is the one that jumps out to me. Monster stat blocks were full of ridiculous keywords or just ability names and you had to like know where to go look for that ability and it didn't tell you what that ability did and so you couldn't actually compile like an entire stat block unless you were like writing it yourself um, yeah. and again that's where like system mastery comes into play or you know the mastery to know not to use the system right so the the thing that i do with 5e right is like spells mm -hmm. like spells are so stupid on monster stat blocks like yeah. a lot of times the spell list has like a ton of verisimilitude 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 to it and it's like there is no way that you're ever going to be using legend lore mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. this npc he's here to fight and die he's not casting legend lore it's a waste of space and it's a distraction so what's more useful to me is if i take the spells that are good on the stat like on the list and i put together a plan of how to use them and I have the the text of the spell pasted next to them so that, you know, my tactics and the ability and the text that's relevant is all in one place. And I don't have to do that thinking on the fly, right? So jot down some tactics, jot down the spell text so I know what it does, and then go on from there. I can save myself a ton of time at the table, like digging through stat blocks. Um, I never have to reference a PHP to look up a spell, and then I can keep things moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the next thing is, you know, once you've gotten those sort of critical items, right, ready, then focus on shoring up your weaknesses. So everybody's good at some stuff and bad at others. So if you're bad at tactics, spend some time planning your tactics. If they do this, I will do this, right? Remember, this monster has this ability, which, you know, counterspell, for example, or legendary resistances, like 
don't forget to use them, right? So do the things that like you, you, you need to do. Um, for me, I like to have a list of like either places or NPC names, um, so that I can pull them from the, like pull them off the fly and like make the world come a little bit more alive than it would be if I'm grasping about. Yeah. For me, I think like my most minimal prep for a session is usually like a flow chart. Um, and flow chart honestly is, is like giving myself too much credit. It's really more like what are the four things that need to happen or the party needs to discover this session and like what is the order those potentially might happen and if this one happens then like what's the next one to happen right right yeah and then really it's just it's, it's like basically i have four things written down a couple of arrows drawn between them and like four check boxes and by yep. the end of the session i need four of them checked off right and like <laughs> the that four that, clues they need <laughs> right and and it doesn't necessarily mean that like they've discovered it and were successful or whatever right it could be like they missed it but like it's checked off because like i'm doing something with it we're done Another thing that might be useful is, um, you know, a lot of times like skill challenges are uh, a good way of adjudicating some of the like, you know, kind of chase scenes and things like that, that you want to have in like kind of an action oriented game. Um, but that might not be like your typical wheelhouse, right? So if you're, for example, expecting there to be a chase scene in cars, um, it might be helpful to put a list of obstacles uh, on a on a post-it note or something that you can pull into that chase so that it's not just, oh, they turned down a narrow alley. Can you make the turn, <laughs> right? Like, you know, oh, they uh, they swerve into you and try to run you off the road, like, right? Like, let's get some traffic. Let's let's drive through a bazaar. Let's, uh, you know, let's have a, a Thanksgiving Day parade coming up ahead, you know? Like, l l what are what are some interesting things that could get in the way? That's when you pull out your old uh, copy of Mealborn and just write down the names of all the cards, usually in French. Yes. What could happen here, Kouferay? Another one that I like to do is if I have a character that should have one-liners, I like to, uh, or they have like a distinctive speech pattern, right? I like to write down words or phrases that they can use um, so that as I'm like, just glancing at the page it'll jog my memory and i'm like ah i'll work that in the next time he speaks right and like that's just like kind of helpful for me to remind myself like um especially like planescape right where like they have that kind of like the the slang the speech yeah. is yeah is like so i don't know iconic right like i don't speak that language but if i got to bring a character to life i want to have a couple like shorthand you know yeah and you you can do this with pretty pretty much any lists right like if, for example, your players are uh, about to partake in a trial where everyone who they're up against is some sort of celestial angel, perhaps you might want a nice list of angel names that you can draw from just in case they call somebody out or find somebody else or, you know, decide that the, this person in the audience is going to be someone that they engage with and, like, what that angel might look like just just a list i don't know it could potentially come in handy and it might be worth the three minutes it takes you to put together right um but again that's all on what gives you anxiety right when you think about running the session what are the things that you're most worried about those are the things you want to want to focus on because the whole point of prep is to get you ready right so ready to you and ready to me will always be different 
it's a matter of figuring out what ready means for you and then going and just putting that together. Right. If all your angels have seven eyeballs and flaming swords, don't worry about it. You know what they look like. Right. Biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is be ready to reskin, recycle, reuse, or just make stuff up on the fly. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times, like, I've thrown the same, like, three humanoid stat blocks, <laughs> like, <laughs> together in an encounter. And it's just like, I mean, it still works, you know? <laughs> like, it's not, like, it's, if you have, like, you know, you have a little bit of crowd control, you have a little bit of tank, and you have a little bit of damage, like, that's a pretty good core encounter, right? It doesn't have to be a whole lot more complicated than that to to get a good intermediate combat ready to go. So having it in your back pocket to reflavor as, you know, are they a street a street gang? Are they trained assassins? Are they a group of orcs that are looking to like settle a score? Like, doesn't matter. They're, they're following the archetypes. Narr- like narrate appropriately. Yeah, and in order to prevent this from feeling samey or maybe even to prevent you from feeling like it didn't really matter what choices your players made, like the reskin can can have mechanical consequences, right? Like, okay, if they're going to face bandits or whatever in one direction, it's going to be like troglodyte bandits in another direction. It's going to, you know, be, you know, a, a wizard's apprentices, like great if they meet the troglodytes then they have a a stench ability and people are making constitution saving throws and if it's the wizards then like you know they they throw a lightning bolt or something or you know you you like swap out a spell on the fly to make it actually fit what would make sense in in game and in world and then those minor mechanical differences actually can result in a very different encounter Exactly. And that's the kind of thing, like, you don't have to, and I'm, I'm impressed you pulled the troglodyte ability off the top of your head. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you don't have to know that stuff off the top of your head, right? Like, all you have to do is, like, quickly glance through the stat block and then, like, find one iconic thing on there and just go back to what you know. It's fine. <laughs> you know, this isn't a troglodyte. It's a troglodyte bandit. Or... or- or to like tie in what we said earlier, like give him any ability. Does not matter. Maybe you screwed it up and like it's a lizard folk ability and you've forgotten. Like they're regenerating for some reason. That's fine. Figure out why later. Right. <laughs> like sometime during the next week. If right. someone asks about it. But if no one if asks, someone who notices. cares? Exactly. And that's the trick, right? Is if somebody notices the answer, then you default to survive the session. Okay. That's interesting. You did notice that he's regenerating. You don't know. There's nothing immediate. Let's do some skill checks. Well, you rolled pretty high. You have a suspicion it's magical manipulation. I don't know what that is. I don't know where that came from. I don't know anything about magical manipulation of DNA. But I know I got a whole week to figure it out before I have to have any type of answer. So make a note of it and keep the session running. And that's how you get recurring villains. Exactly. Um, and then I think the last thing here that's important to ensure that your prep is valuable is take the time to be retrospective, right? Even if it's just you thinking about what worked, what did I use? What did I wish I had, right? Like over time, you get better at it by better prepping the things you need, right? So, Hey, when I reskinned the stat blocks 
and made up the encounter, it didn't really land the way I wanted it to. Was that a prep problem? Was that a, you know, I chose the wrong encounter problem? Like, what could I do differently? Cool, I'll fix that. Oh, you know, I really wish I had had those names. Like, I really think if I could have brought the crowd to life with more names, uh, that would have been helpful. Next time I'm going to prep a list of names. You know, like those kind of observations, right? The key to a dinner party have lots of extravagant noble names, right? This is a real example that I use. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, also, once you put that list together, don't throw it away. Don't ever throw out your prep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's another dinner party. Guess what? Same names. Exactly. How do these, these people have the same? These are very familiar. Yeah, I know. They're family names. Duh. Yes. They're noble houses. And then my most important technique for, for staying low prep is to always move challenges in front of the players, right? Whatever I thought was going to happen, whatever challenge I thought they were going to face, I don't care if you go left or right, you are running into the encounter that I planned, right? We will flavor it differently. The context of the encounter might change. You might have advantages or disadvantages. I might be reskinning the combat, right? Uh, or I might be reskinning the the players involved, uh, like um, you know, like in a in a social encounter, right? The the people might be different, the NPCs might be different, but like that encounter is happening because that's what I'm ready to do. <laughs> like you don't get to opt out of my prep. We, you, what you are controlling is sort of the circumstance into into under which you enter it. And I think I can already hear some listeners grumbling about this, and I, I think that's fair. I I want to clarify here, like sometimes we joke about like, ha ha, doesn't matter which tunnel you go down, you're going to face the basilisk, you know, like left tunnel, it's Schrodinger's basilisk, right? Mm -hmm. One tunnel leads to freedom and the other leads to my challenge. No, they both lead to my challenge. Right. And, and that takes away player agency. What we really mean here is like, if, you, if you're trying to reduce the amount of prep, you don't need to prep two encounters for each tunnel. You prep one encounter and reskin it for the thing that is down that tunnel. It's the same exactly. bag of hit points. It's the same numbers on a sheet with the name filed off. And then you slap on the context and the consequences once they get there. But like, it still matters if they decided to go fight the giants or help the giants. But you're, you're going to kill someone something with 367 HP, you know? Exactly. And that, that's the point, right? It's like, you know, you're the, if the players have made a choice... Uh, you don't want to invalidate that choice. But if the players have made no real choice, and I would argue that flipping a coin to go left or right down these tunnels with no other information, they haven't made any choice at all, mm -hmm. right? They have, there, there's no context for either decision. That's not a choice. All they've done is press forward. You don't care which one they go down. The, so if I have a choice of, you know, like as the GM, if I offer you a false choice, what's the difference? Right? <laughs> like, you came here to fight a basilisk. Like, if you were saying, hey, I really want to avoid that basilisk because we're really weak. And then you do some investigation and then, oops, now there's a bat. Like, you, oh, <laughs> you investigated. Sorry, you still fight the basilisk. Yeah, then I've invalidated your choice. Right? But if you don't have any preference um, and the, the choice is arbitrary anyway, you don't have any information that informs it, then, like, why am I killing myself to, to simulate something that you doesn't need simulation right right you don't need to procedurally generate everything that might happen before it happens right and if you then backtrack from the basilisk and go down the other path well now i got to figure out what was down the other path right uh, nothing <laughs> it, there was nothing because i don't have anything 
Well, there's treasure, obviously. I didn't prep treasure. There's uh, the, bas- it, the basilisk it, room and the treasure room, Ishan, and you always choose the basilisk room first. There's the statue room. That's that's what you get. That's how you would have that's, known there's right. basilisk if you'd gone down if here you'd first. You'd gone down the statue room. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so again, I know that is the the biggest leap for for like people to get over, um, and it is 100 like you can never let the players see behind the curtain. Right, if they get the suspicion that that that's happening, like you you ruin your game. I get all that, but you also like as players have to recognize like the world isn't a simulation. Time is finite. You know, like if we go out looking for a fight, the fight is going to find us. <laughs> that's what we signed up to do, right? So, give the players what they want. Give the players what they need. Um. And then the last piece here is really tying together different uh, sessions and adventures into an overarching campaign. Because obviously, if you're prepping and making a bunch of stuff on the on the fly, it's hard to make sure that what you've made up has impact and connects together, right? And so I think it is important to spend a little bit of time, at least every couple of sessions, to think about how do your adventures become arcs? How do they tie together into arcs? How do arcs tie into a larger campaign, right? And what is the big picture that's going going on here? And I just keep like kind of a, a running list of just like ideas of like what could be going on, right? How might things tie together? Like what could be the big bad that's working all of these different components? Or are there two big bads working at odds with each other, right? Um, and then periodically I just kind of like look through them and I'm like, ah, that one doesn't work anymore. Or, oh, that one is actually kind of like looking really, really good. I'm going to like involve that one in the next session and kind of push that forward. Right. Like I really want to get the vampire part of this conspiracy forward because we've started laying some groundwork and I think that's going to be cool. Um, and so like that way, like I just have some ideas, but I'm not like, I'm not pre-planning anything. I'm just, you know plucking plucking potentiality out of it right it's the, the schrodinger's plot arc yeah like when you pull out this need to 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 plot to like make sure that every session narratively flows consecutively from the previous session you really free yourself one from like needing to do a a bunch of prep before each session but also you can now take these like units of story, like each, each session that you play and later, if you want, rearrange them into a plot that makes sense and connect them in different ways that aren't necessarily the order in which the party encountered them, but eventually create a mosaic that tells a full and complete story that may right. not be one that you had in mind at the very beginning, which again is also very freeing. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the, the last arc of Dynasty Unwarranted, uh, you remember when we were creating the planet, we mm-hmm. randomly oh, rolled oh, yeah. there were I remember. There were randomly rolled Eldar Exodites were on the planet. Do you remember this? Yes. And, and Eldar Exodites had nothing to do with anything on that planet at all until like quite literally like the last three sessions. <laughs> and that was right because they were rolled but they were on they were on a high plateau and we were like we'll get to that later exactly 
exactly. You just hadn't gone to the area where they were. But then, like, I had listened to, like, Acquisitions Incorporated. They had done this episode that was, like, a PUBG, Fortnite-themed, like, Battle Royale kind of, like, you know, weird wizard simulation, right? And I was like, that, like, that reminds me of every time you see Eldar Farseers in 40K fiction, right? They're always doing that, like, deep immersive illusion um, that's trapping Imperials. And I was like, what if that's like, like, what if that's driving the weird behavior of like the, the tech techno gangers who are like, we had already established like long before we're like delving out into the like terrible death world jungle and trying to like bring out our KO tech. Right. And then I started to like kind of piece that together and I was like, okay, all right. So why does the Farseer care about that? And then I was like, oh, the Exodites, the world spirit, blah, 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 blah. Right. And like it all started to tie together, but it all came together at the very end. <laughs> like there was no, there was no, when we rolled those things, I had no idea that we were going to care at all about Eldar doing anything. It wasn't until I had like this idea for one cool session that I really wanted to run that I started like piecing them together. And I don't know, you tell me, I think it landed. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, you know, you don't think about it too hard, right? But it definitely felt like a thing that you had planned for longer than three sessions, you know? <laughs> right. That's, that's all <laughs> I aim for. Four sessions minimum. <laughs> but also like, it's not a scenario that you would have come up with if you had sat down to plan a campaign or an arc, right? So like the, the ability to let these elements surface themselves, either based on the interests of the party as we investigate things or the random roll of dice as we generate them, it makes everything easier in the end and meant that like for the, for the, previous 12 sessions you weren't like fighting us when we were going in a direction that you didn't think was advancing the plot that you had already created beforehand and not only that like it gave you room to just explore like we just created new space together in the world right like you created plots you created your own rivals you decided who you liked and who you hated just based on you know how dice we decided to shoot or well, yes, or and <laughs> who decided to shoot first also was, I think, a factor. I, I believe you guys got into some light domestic terrorism as well. <laughs> some light and by treason. Light, I mean, yeah, you, I believe you leveled entire city blocks. <laughs> yeah, it and got called to the principal's office. <laughs> but, like, again, like, I can't plot that for you, right? Like, there's no way that I could lead you to, like, hosting a like a, a a gang war like literally with techno gangers like in the streets and, of the city and, right and a barbecue there was also a barbecue <laughs> there was also a barbecue <laughs> there's always a dinner party i can force you into dinner parties but i don't <laughs> i mean we also had a psyker who was like hey i can open portals now so like i think i want to do that and we were like oh we hate you so yeah do that cool <laughs> yeah so i you know, I like, yeah, it, it just feels to me like I could have done a lot of extra work to get it to a place that was probably equally satisfying, mm -hmm. but it definitely wouldn't have been the place we landed. And it, I don't think it would have felt as collaborative for everybody. I, I think the outcome for you would have been much more along the lines of, wow, Shane put together a really cool campaign as opposed to like, wow, we had a really great campaign. <laughs> right <laughs> you know and like there's there's a difference between those two things and that's just my style is just more that than it is like you know 
hey, like he perfectly plotted all this stuff and we like he guided us along and we got like this awesome ending that he had planned. Like I just, you know, I feel like we'll get to an awesome ending um, by working together. Um, before we wrap up, I want to just touch on very quickly some like other ways to shorthand prep. I think one of the most common ones is like buy a pre-written adventure module. That is not necessarily the way to do the least amount of prep <laughs> because then you need to read the adventure module. And then when you're running it, you're referencing it. Like it actually gets really complicated. I think one of the best things that you can actually do is if you're going to throw some money at the problem, buy accessories, buy a battle map, you know, buy pre-made minis. If like you don't want to like source them yourself, like buy the exact thing that, uh, so that you can, you don't need to telegraph what this thing looks like. You just plop it down and like, that's all taken care of, you know, pre-made character sheets or, or what have you. Um, you, you can get all of these resources so you don't need to come up with them yourself. And like all of them are optional. Um, but then when, when you're sort of like on the fly coming up with the story beats or whatever, you can just insert these things and it makes everything feel like there was a lot more work put in at the beginning because like someone else did it. Yeah, and that is, I, I think probably, I, I still like firmly believe this set me back for years was running published adventures, thinking that in order to prep a, prep my own campaign, I needed to write a published adventure, uh. <laughs> right? The idea that I needed that level of detail that any random third party who doesn't share my brain uh, could pick it up and run with it. Um, I, I think, like, even down, I used to prep gray text. Like, I, I would text, <laughs> oh I would prep the box text, right? Because, like, I was like, ah, oh, got to get a good narration. That's important. That's what the adventure does, right? And, uh, you know, uh, breaking that habit was probably the most important thing. And then once I broke that habit, then I realized, like, oh, man, all bets are off. <laughs> I could do right, way less. Like, like, this, this is a product that is meant to, like, feel like you got your money's worth you know not <laughs> what yeah, is the exactly. easiest way to run a game exactly and it's like I, you know what i eventually realized is like i share a brain 100 percent of the time with the guy who wrote this adventure <laughs> so like i probably don't need to commit everything to the page since it's my adventure <laughs> <laughs> and, and also like it can change you know anytime and it's and that's better if it can I could, yeah, I can also, I can improve on that guy's work. <laughs> right. That guy, that guy was not in a good state when he put this together. He's a hack. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> always has been, always will be. All right. Uh, anything to wrap us up here? Or are we just going to continue condemning my GMing style? <laughs> um, I, no, no. I think, I think that seems very on the nose for us. Okay. Perfect. Well, if you want to be disappointed uh, with your GM, let them follow be, my guy. Be be the GM. That's that's the best way to be disappointed yeah. in the GM. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, silent weeping. Silent, silent weeping. Oh no! Did you kill another character? Uh, no, I failed to. I don't know oh. how. I rocks fell and no one died. How did that happen? All right. Well, then it's time to move on to the character creation forge and build some chaff. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. 
You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. Or also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right, so this week in The Forge, the doomsday prepper, who I guess is the total opposite of our low prep GM. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what, do they, what do they do? Uh, they live in the woods. Mm-hmm. They stock up on supplies to store in their bunker, and they don't depend on the government for anything. Okay. Well, what does that build look like? Uh, looks like Twilight Cleric 8, Circle of the Star Druid 6, Drake Warden Ranger 6. It feels very outdoorsy, yeah. Thank you. So we will start with five levels of Twilight Cleric. Uh, Twilight Cleric is one of the melee clerics. So uh, you'll get spellcasting up to fourth level. You'll get uh, martial weapon and heavy armor proficiency. So you can obviously be prepped. Um, And then you'll get Eyes of Night. You'll have 300 feet of dark vision, which you can share with up to your wisdom uh, modifier creatures uh, with, I think, within 30 feet of you. Uh, And then... What we like here as well is Vigilant Blessing at level one. As an action, you can give a creature advantage on their next initiative roll, and then that recharges when it's rolled or when you use it again. So you're always granting somebody initiative the first round of combat, or always granting somebody initiative in combat. Always granting somebody advantage on initiative in combat. For your channel divinity, you can create a 30-foot sphere of dim light centered on you and creatures who end their turn inside, uh, gain temp HP, and can end a charm or frighten effect. You can also destroy undead, and uh, you get spells like Lehman's Tiny Hut. You get Lehman's Tiny Hut. You get Lehman's Tiny Hut. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ritual. It lasts eight hours. It lets you build a hut. This is your bunker, all right? The hut is your bunker. This this is your castle. This is what you're protecting. The tiny hut is where you do your business. So talk about the tiny hut because its mechanics are interesting. Well, that would require me to look up the tiny hut. Okay. It is a 10-foot radius, immobile dome of force that springs into existence around and above you and does not move. It fits nine creatures. (laughs) It's very specific. Yes. So this doomsday prepper has one spouse. Let's go with one. Sure. Uh, And uh, seven children. Or I guess, I mean, if you want any pets, though. Well, yeah. Six six children and a drake. Right. <laughs> the, the drake is my baby. Um, but what's important about it is that uh, other creatures and objects can't pass through it, and spells and magical effects can't extend into it or be cast through it. So it is... Uh, oh, and the you're immune to the weather as well. It is literally a bunker. Like, if you're inside it for eight hours, you are safe. All right, then two levels of Star Druid. Uh, for some wild shape, um, is this so that you can, I don't know, turn into something that can eat whatever you find? Uh, it can be. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. wild shape is just generically useful uh, when you're an outdoorsy type. But what we really care about is that second level is star map. Because what kind of prep have you done as an outdoorsman if you don't have a map of the stars? <laughs> okay. <laughs> This gives you the guidance cantrip uh, and also lets you prepare guiding bolt for free. uh, And then you can cast it for free uh, up to proficiency bonus number of times per long rest. So that's a thing. Uh, And then you get a, a different wild shape form, starry form, uh, which has three types. So you can be an archer, which gives you a, a bonus action spell attack. 
you could be a chalice, which gives you a bonus. Uh, it, it heals you whenever you cast magical healing, um, or you can be a dragon. Uh, this is, again, what we're here for. This is the prep. You can't roll lower than 10 on an intelligence, wisdom, or concentration saving throw. That feels pretty prepared, doesn't it? I am never going to be um, taken unawares by those intelligent saving throws. Wisdom, dude. Wisdom. <laughs> no hold person for me. I mean, there's is there anything worse than having your main stat like and failing a saving throw? Because like sometimes you roll a three. <laughs> like... Look, sometimes you have a plus eight in advantage, uh, but you need a 17 to succeed and you end up stunned for all four rounds of an entire mm -hmm. combat. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. Well, that, will, that won't happen if you're in dragon form. Mm. Starry dragon form. It's, it's, mm. it, I would still, yep, yeah, you're right. I would have succeeded. Should, oh, well, I guess it. my build sucked. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then the Drake Warden. Uh, one of the newer, maybe the newest ranger subclass. Mm -hmm. Six levels here for favorite enemy beasts, because of course you are uh, hunting wild animals uh, while you live out here in the middle of nowhere. Natural yep. explorer, uh, so you don't get lost in your favored terrain. A fighting style, looks like defense is a good one, always shoring up your defenses. Uh, you get some ranger spellcasting Rangers don't get a lot of spells, but the ones they do get actually are like pretty good. Hunter's Mark, Pass Without Trace, obviously. Yeah. Also, ranger spells tend to scale really well, mm. right? So, like going back to Starry Form with your advantage on, or, uh, you know, can't roll lower than 10 on concentration, like you can actually upcast, um, Oh, like, which is right, which is like expensive to do time. as a ranger yeah but you're gonna end up with ninth level spells <laughs> like you'll have ninth level slots on this build just no <laughs> spells to use them with so like you're gonna be upcasting like you can easily invest a third level spell in uh, a spell slot into your hunter's mark like eight hours stay of hunter's mark or whatever yeah. Starry form. Mm -hmm. yeah uh then at third level you'll get draconic gift so you learn the thaumaturgy cantrip and draconic as a language and then most importantly you get a drake companion uh it uh this is one of the new companions so it is the drake stat block but key things scale off of your proficiency bonus so it ends up actually you know being somewhat useful uh even at high levels um this one is just like hey i mean there's always like man's best friend right but like what's cooler than having a dog to help you hunt having a freaking dragon <laughs> yeah uh, then also at third level, you get primeval awareness to sense creatures within one mile uh, for a minute per spell slot level uh, that you expend on this, which of course is to stay away from people for the most part. And also know when people are trespassing on your land. Don't forget. I mean, this is an important part of prepping is, uh, you know, having uh, <laughs> claymores and, uh, you know, cans strung up and Glass bottles to alarm you that somebody is trespassing on your land. Well, Possibly the government. Speaking of which, you get extra attack, and then at level 6 you get another favorite enemy. Humanoids is a good option here, because as we know, uh, the the true evil is man. All right, then we will finish out uh, our 8th level of Twilight Cleric. At level 6 we'll get Steps of Night, which is a bonus action in Dim Light or Darkness. You can gain a fly speed equal to your walk speed, uh, proficiency times per long rest. 
Uh, this couples nicely with your channel divinity because you are always in dim light when you use your channel divinity. So you can always get fly if you need it. Um, and then at eight, you'll get destroy undead up to CR one. And then what you care about is divine strike. So you can add an extra D eight radiant damage uh, once per turn. And then you top it off with druid for uh, wild shaping to CR one half with a swim speed. And then at level six, cosmic omen. After a long rest, you roll a die. If it is even at a D6 to a creature's attack roll, save, uh, or ability check as a, a reaction. And if it is odd, you can subtract a D6. Proficiency times per long rest. Yeah. So, you know, it's good to know what's going to happen. It's good to be prepped. Uh, and then notably, because we haven't gone past level 8 in any of the three classes that we've taken here, um, you'll note that this build is about as effective as actual doomsday preppers at whatever it is they think they're good at <laughs> you prepared for the wrong apocalypse <laughs> it's meta <laughs> all right before we wrap up we want to take a moment to thank our patreon supporters your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week and supporters at any level get access to our plot hook of the week bonus content so if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about using mind flares. And in the character creation forge, we're building the Cerulean sign. Well, that's it for episode 314 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.